Hello and welcome back to the Autism Advocate Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And I'm so glad Miss Diane Hudson is here. She's a PhD, BCBA, a parent coach. Basically, she's the person who, if you have autistic children or are supportive of autistic individuals, you want her to be your bestie because you want to know everything that's in her head. Um, what I love about all of those things, especially understanding behavior. So much of my mission of what I try to do is help parents and other community members um, understand the purpose behind behaviors and how so often it's not personal. It's people doing their best to get their needs met. Um, and that can come with a whole lot of things that can get in the way of doing that in a quote, socially appropriate way. So I, I'm going to love to hear, Ooh, and your earrings are cute too. No, um, yeah. I have like a little flash of it. So if you don't mind sharing with us and your, I'm sure it's going to be giant audience that will listen to my podcast, just enormous. I'm being sarcastic. That's okay. We have a diehard, but smaller following and that's great. Every bit of information we can get out to any parent that helps any child is so well worth it. So tell us a little bit about um, who you are within this community and what your goals are, what you do day to day. And um, yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on, Laura. I remember getting to meet you at the One in 44 Summit that Sarah Bradford hosted um, a few months ago, I guess, already, and was just like blown away by your energy and commitment. And so thank you very much for including me. Thank you. Yeah. And shout out to Sarah. I know, right? Sarah is like, she's one of those doers. Some people have such big dreams, which is not a problem. Go them. She has the dream and then she goes, let's make it happen. Yes. And I'm so grateful for people like her. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Sarah was actually one of the very first people that um, kind of one of my first connectors that I got to meet as I was transitioning into private practice. So um, my long and sorted history includes um, after graduate school, I worked as a school psych in um, a couple different states, landed for most of my time here in Wyoming, where I'm back again. Um, and in that role, I worked with preschoolers all the way through high schoolers. And that was really Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. It's quite really, a range. It's quite a range. Yeah. You've got to be able to pivot like every hour on the hour, depending on where you're going, which wow. was lovely. I loved the variety. Um, I loved the challenge. And I really got to see the impact that a different environment, like in a different school setting or a different age group or different um, adult expectations, how that could really help a, a kid blossom. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, and in very different ways. So I school psyched around for a while. Like, school psyched. I yeah. like that. <laughs> um, and that transition from there I transitioned into wanting to work a little bit more um, a little bit more with families than I was in a school setting um, so as you your your um, kids are all in school or almost all in school or yes they are both in school 
Okay. Okay. So, um, and so I, I believe you're familiar with the, like the IEP 504 process and how that, I mean, you're obviously a great support for families with that as well. So, um, that was great in the school setting. It is good in the school setting. You've got to be on top of your game as a parent, you know, you can't really let things slide too long. Um, But as a provider, what I really wanted to do was just like really get in there and do more work with the actual kid Mm -hmm. and their parents. And so I ended up getting my um, behavior analyst certification. And then there I got to work in clinics, in homes, in community settings. Um, It just kind of broadened my... Uh, my skill set, but also really helped me to see on a much bigger scale, like in the community, where do neurodivergent individuals struggle more? And mm. turns out it's a lot of places, uh, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really, um, I really wanted to work not just with individual clients and building their skills, but with parents in helping them to see what is actually possible for their child. Um, Because a lot of times you're kind of left with like, well, this is what we've got for um, post high school. So here you go, fit into the box, right? Right. Um, I remember I had one client, she was coming up on 21. So I was about to age out of the school district Mm -hmm. and she loved cars. Like would like at every session we'd go out and look at my car. It's the same car every time. It's not like I had a new car every time. Right. Can you imagine? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Every time I had a new car. Well, it was just like my fanciest time. Mm Um, and I mean, it just, she would want to sit in it and look at it and look at the keys. And I was like, why are we stuck? Unfortunately, I didn't get to see this through because the family moved on um, from our agency. But why are we stuck with like her wrapping utensils in napkins at a restaurant? Hmm. Like, why can't we get her a placement that is at a car dealership? Right. Where she gets to wash windows or tidy up the inside of a of a showroom, you know, or stuff that would just like totally be her jam. Um, And so as I continued to work in those more traditional BCBA roles, I also started to think this is not like, this also doesn't have to be the only option for everyone. Like, and so I actually work right now, instead of with like a lot of younger kids um, who are neurodivergent, mostly autistic, I actually work more with um, preteens and teenagers and their parents. Um, And it's a very different look for a BCBA than what people traditionally think of, Mm -hmm. um, simply because of the history of my field. And one of my most favorite things um, really is working with neurodivergent girls. Mm. They're just like, super under the radar, very overlooked, very right. underserved. Right. Um, and so in doing that, you had mentioned, you know, understanding the purpose behind behavior. I think it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't also talk about the purpose behind a parent's behavior. Hmm. Um, I feel like I rarely have time to even consider that. Mm-hmm. But yes, well, <laughs> I think it's absolutely valuable. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, there's always so much um, emphasis on why is my kid doing this? But from a parent perspective, if you can kind of pause and be like, well, why am I doing this? Why is this tiny thing that they just did causing me to lose my absolute beans over everything? Beans. I love that. Lose <laughs> my beans. I lost my beans. I will be saying that frequently from now it's on. It's a good Thank one. You. It is. It's very a good, good one. It creates a very entertaining visual if you yes. can imagine what it looks like. I love it. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how I've gotten into via the parent route, really trying to get parents to see not to not to put blame anywhere because for heaven's sake, parenting is hard. Parenting and nerd a little bit. A little bit. A smidge. A smidge. smidge. Yeah. And we all bring with it what we bring to with it, right? Like for better or for worse, we were raised the way we were raised. Um, and also it's not usually the most effective way for us to also parent our kids, neurodivergent or, or not, right? right. Um, and so I know that, so Ross Green says, kids will do well if they can. You know, like no kid is running around trying to like create havoc and make themselves miserable right. and feel bad and their parents. And I would say most people, right? Yeah. yeah. Like rarely are people really the villain without a backstory. Even villain yeah. these days, like in movies and stuff, we give them these backstories now where we didn't used to, like in cinematic history, you would just be like, I'm evil because I want to take over the world. And there was mm -hmm. no... But now we give them backstories. And now I swear half the time we're like, okay, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like I see where he's coming from. Like it's kind of miss, it kind of went wonky one way, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, context matters so much. And when you think about, you know, your, your parenting, that it's exactly the same thing, right? You know, the things that happened to you as you were growing up kind of get they become a part of the way that you parent and when you're when that doesn't work for your child it's a conscious difficult challenge to try to do it differently and in and it just um that's why when i'm working with parents yeah sure we're helping to build their child's skills. We're working on maybe some life skills or independence. And I'm helping the parents set up systems so that they can do that without having an extra, you know, an extra provider in their back pocket all the time. Right. But the other piece of it that I think is equally critical is helping parents to realize like, and give themselves some grace and compassion around their level of functioning at any given day. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to do too, because we Definitely. always, you know, we're anticipating a hundred percent performance all the time. And that's not realistic. Sure. I mean, one of the things that I, I mentioned to people is how often have we as parents thrown tantrums about our children having tantrums? And we don't seem to grasp the irony of mm -hmm. I am frustrated and angry that my child, whatever age they are, whatever disabilities or not that they have, um, is not able to take this emotion, 
process it appropriately and give a an appropriate response with that emotion. And yet, <laughs> how I am taking in that um, undesirable event, processing it, and then expressing it is the exact same process. Now, hopefully we, um, <clears throat> excuse me, hopefully we don't engage in some of the more undesirable behaviors, like we don't get physical and we don't yell, hopefully, but I know that that's a hard thing for parents and all people. Um, but we throw what I call the adult version of a tantrum, mm -hmm. which is the same kind of, you know, snarky remark, sarcasm, um, just things that are not necessarily helpful, genuine, um, aimed toward being productive, helpful, uh, gracious, um, giving an environment where the child feels comfortable learning and making mistakes. And, and yeah. then we, um, and then we often see in a lot of our kids that they are averse to making mistakes, yeah. you know, that they don't want to even start this task because I'm so afraid of the learning in between part. And then we wonder, well, why are they afraid of, of making mistakes? Well that's, well, that's just bonkers bananas. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, we're all, uh, none of us are perfect. So um, it's not a matter of, well, I need to be perfect to parent my child how they need, but having that same grace toward your child, knowing that we all as humans are, doing the best with the skills that we have. Exactly. And that's, you know, from, for me as well, I'm doing the best with the skills that I have. Mm -hmm. And how can we translate that effectively to our kids? Mm -hmm. It's so strange to me that we have these adult-like expectations for children. Yes. That, do you feel like, do you feel like having an autism diagnosis or ADHD helps parents address their expectations appropriately? Or do you find maybe that at the point they are in their journey that, you know, they are needing more help, that maybe one parent or both are like having a hard time coming to grips with maybe modifying their expectations for what the future may look like or um, mm -hmm. what their child is capable and maybe not capable at this point in time or another point in time? of doing? Where, where have you, or maybe you've seen the whole array? Um, I, what I usually see is that after a child gets a diagnosis, parents are like, they feel validated, right? Like this is something that is real. I wasn't making it up. My kid's not making it up. And it usually allows them to feel, to be a little bit more open to doing things differently. You know, up until that point, a lot of parents were kind of like, you know, square peg round holing it. And it just was not, clearly wasn't working, but they didn't have an explanation for why. Um, and then too, as a parent, it can make you feel even worse, right? Like, why is this, especially if you've raised an older kid who's neurotypical, and you're like, but that was fine. I had a conversation right. with a parent like a couple of weeks ago and she was like, everything worked great for kids one through four. And then kid five came along and, you know, she's like, it's like we're at the very beginning, but it's not her fault and it's not my fault. Sure. 
And that's really powerful. Um, I still do have some parents, <laughs> excuse me, Ooh, parents who do struggle with the long-term implications, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially if they're kind of facing some caps, I guess, on what their child's skill level looks like or what they think it might look like. And I would argue there are probably always like different ways to weasel in sideways and kind of expand interests and expand opportunities. Um, which is one of my favorite things to do with clients. Um, yeah. But it can, it's kind of like, um, almost like a relief for a lot of parents. Mm. Um, simply because it gives them a little bit more comfort in knowing that, yeah, this is hard. Yeah, this is hard. And there's a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I have the um, opposite experience with my kids. My oldest, both of my kids are autistic, both of my boys. Mm-hmm. And so I had the parenting experience of why isn't this working? Yes. Mm-hmm. But also it must just be because I'm a horrible parent because this mm-hmm. is my first time. Yeah. So I have nothing to reference as far as, well, it worked for kids one through four. Mm-hmm. So there must be something extra going on here. Um, without that context, I was just like, well, I suppose parenting is just this tricky. And um, in spite of my best parenting techniques, like I suppose other people just are more consistent than I am, are more whatever those good tactics are than I am. Uh-huh. And um, I remember that diagnosis because I had suspicions and it wasn't until um And in between, I had a lot of really well-meaning people when I would express these concerns and questions that would, you know, as I'm sure you've heard several times, oh, well, that's just boys, you know, you know, kids are, kids are kind of crazy or, you know, well, my kid too, my kid, uh, you know, once hit under the couch, isn't that crazy? And I'm like, yeah, not the same. Oh, yeah. And then I just kind of, well, okay, well, I guess I'm just you know, being a helicopter parent or being a little Mm -hmm. obsessive and, you know, I, I, it all gets put back onto me. Well then, okay. If he, if it's not a, an issue with him having a diagnosis, then what am I doing wrong? How can I help better and more? And how am I failing now? Um, excuse me, but, um, the second time around, I remember being like, yep. And also being like, uh, it, it brought along with it some great and some hard things that came from previous experience. So it brought to me the comfort of, I know that I can do this as a parent. Um, I know and have already worked on building my tolerance for how much pressure I feel from society, what, you know, people looking at us in public. And um, I know that I've already done years of research on, you know, what's most effective and things like that. But also I know the late nights, the extra challenges, the struggles that um, I experienced with my first son in the school system. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then come to find out that my two autistic kids are very different from each other. So here I was thinking I had it all figured out. <laughs> and then, um, you know, things cognitive, um, very vast cognitive differences, uh, very vast, uh, no, I wouldn't say very vast, moderate behavioral differences, um, just totally different things that work per kid. Uh, which is like a duh for a lot of people. But when you're in it, especially as a young parent, it's something that until it happens to you, you just you just kind of think that it, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I wanted to make sure that I asked you is with the experience that you have with families and you said teens, is that right? Like mostly yeah. teens and older uh like preteens and teens, yeah, like eight years old and up. Okay. Um, I have a lot of parents that ask about uh, being in the school system. Now, mm -hmm. I know it sounds like you had a lot of work within the school system. I'm mm -hmm. sure they were really lucky to have you. Um, I have a lot of parents that often feel like they're not informed very well about what their rights are, what their kids' rights are. Um, and then also on the other hand, I personally know, you know, having been an educator myself, how underfunded, understaffed, under everything educators are. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like these two groups that have the same goal end up clashing with each other mm -hmm. when really we should be together because we have the same we have the same goals. I, again, rarely have I ever met a teacher who's just like, I'm just out to get children. Like, <laughs> um, from your time, right? Mm -hmm. From your time, I mean, maybe in like children's books, there's always that teacher who's like, I'm just evil and yeah. I assign homework. <laughs> but um, every other teacher I've met is, is just trying to do their best with um, <laughs> paid, bless you, being paid very little yeah. and, you know, having, you know, five to 10 cases as a case manager rather than two or three. Um, I don't know. So from your experience within the school and then also within the homes of the families, is that something like, what do you observe or what did you experience in both of those environments? Um, so the one of the reasons that I actually got out of school psychology and working in schools is because slowly over time, my family has moved a few times. Um, so I had a lot of opportunity to see what special education and school psychology looks like in Wyoming. What does it look like in Washington, in Idaho, in Florida? And over time, what I noticed is those places that really struggled with funding Everybody was just doing the best they can, but with such few resources and like on a thin rope, right? Mm -hmm. And so it made it so much harder to have productive conversation, planful, like problem solving, forward focused conversations. Mm -hmm. Because experientially, again, context and experience matters, right? Um, those staff members when a lot of times when they would come up against requesting something different for a child, requesting more support, more hours, um, top down would often be uh, not super supportive 
for sure. example. So, and, and a lot of times just because of like funding and that kind of thing. So what I've often found um, is that the extent to which, especially as kids get into those early teen and teenage years, the extent to which parents are able to even just locate other places for their kids to be successful mm-hmm. and feel like they are contributing, um, that makes all the difference. Um, other places, meaning not just in the school setting, is yeah. that what you, you're describing? Exactly. Whether that is a preferred sport, whether that is a D&D group at the local game shop, whether that is... Um, even just a small group of friends that gets them. Um, because I feel like a lot of times school for kids with disabilities can feel real frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. Not again, not because of the individual teachers, because everybody is there with the same goal, right? It's right. just this, a lot of times this system that is just not pulling together to do what everybody who is in the system needs it to do. <laughs> right. That is such um, a good point. Um, I can imagine as I try to put myself in my, not necessarily my oldest, but my youngest son's shoes. Um, my oldest is quite successful in school. Uh, it wasn't so much in the first few years with more behavioral struggles. Um, but with my youngest, I can't imagine going to, you know, a job or somewhere that I was required to go, that I had no option as to attend or not attend. And feeling like most of the day I am failing people somehow, that requests are being made of me. Um, And however I'm, you know, responding is, you know, aside from the point I'm trying to make, at least in this moment, that um, that would be awful to feel. And to know that that was every day for hours at a time. Right. Um, and that's with the most wonderful of intentions. That doesn't mean that a, a teacher is necessarily being, you know, aggressive or talking negatively. Um, yes. It's just constantly being presented with things that are either really difficult for the child or not fun for the child. And they haven't really built a tolerance for things not being fun yet. Um, which is something we don't really think about, right? I think it's pretty natural to be like, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. Mm -hmm. And then we have to learn that tolerance for, unfortunately, life is full of a lot of things that are not fun. So I really want you to learn how to do those things so that you can live the life you want to live. So that you can, I know it's not fun, but you got to learn how to pay bills. And that is a huge bummer. But I, as an adult have to pay bills too. And if you don't learn how to do that, mm-hmm. then you won't get to do all those other fun things, facilitate that enjoyment that, you know, but yeah. appealing to like their logic rather than, well, because I said so. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, what adult wants to hear <laughs> because I said so. Yeah. And yet we expect kids to be like, right, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. Right. Yes, ma'am. You know, um, there was a question in there. It didn't count. <laughs> But well, uh, it was more like my reflections on what you were saying. But, yeah. Um, well, yeah. if I could kind of just spin out from this, because um, I've got some thoughts. To, um, sure, please. Like, this is, I think, why it's really important to involve kids as much as possible um, in 
understanding why they're having to learn certain things. Why do you have a different math teacher than your friends? Mm. What is it that is important about the way that you learn that maybe makes you feel a little uncomfortable? Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe you're like, this is dumb. I'm not going to do it. Sure. And if you want to be able to have money to do stuff when you're older, math's kind of important. And this person's going to help you learn how to do it so that it matches what your brain needs. Um, But also, I think when you said, you know, having kids live their best life, like that's a huge component. That's a huge part of my mission. Um, Kids, Yeah. And it's not for me to say what that should look like. Exactly. Very much Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I do a lot of, I mean, formally it's called values work, but with preteens and teens, it's like, I mean, why do you care? Why do you care about having someone um, be your friend? Like, what does that mean to you? What do you get out of that? Oh, it's someone who will listen to me. It's someone who will help me solve my problems. Cool. So if that's what you want, what is it that you can do so that you're in a ship or group, like how do you listen so that other people want to help you with things? Um, right. Because one of the things that I think is really tricky, um, particularly um, as you know, as a professional kind of paying attention to autistic voices, is the idea that it's not like everybody's best life is not the same. Yeah. And and that's okay. And also, how do how do I help support kids learn how to get there without also feeling like I'm like, well, you must. No one has to make eye contact. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. Right. I don't even like to do it. <laughs> um, and and the idea is that there are other ways that you can show you're listening, right? So what works for you? Okay, sure. well let's do that. Um, I really don't know where I was going with this, except that perhaps um, there are so many different ways now, and this is kind of also what I love about working with that age group, so many different ways that we can be accepting and open of people. Mm. Um, And within that, helping them learn how to say, no, that actually doesn't work for me. And I'm okay with that not working for me. Here's how I'm going to do it. Right. it sounds like you're saying a lot of what I'm hearing is a lot of um, education. And by I don't mean like formal academic education. I just mean, you know, teaching of sort of life's requirements. <laughs> um, just just the, the realities of what being uh, in control of your life looks like. Mm-hmm. Um that's funny to say, because I feel like none of us are really in control of our life, but you know what I mean? Able to make decisions mm-hmm. um, about, you know, where you're going, what you're going to do, if you're going to travel, if you, you know, that all of that requires a certain amount of um, ability to learn, ability to socialize. Um, now you can always, like you said, preface it with, you know, maybe you are trying to have an interview with a company but you know, you're not great with that eye contact point. And perhaps, you know, you just are used to saying, Hey, I, you know, before we start, I struggle with eye contact. I'm absolutely listening. 
Um, this is just something that I da 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 da. I am really excited for the opportunity to make this work environment a more supportive, diverse place. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and however they want to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but a part of education, informing of options, mm-hmm. which sounds great. So they can make more informed, I wouldn't say decisions, but ideas of goals for their future. Mm-hmm. And then based on their preference, which is fantastic, not your preference as the parent, as the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the BCBA, as the person coming in to help, but their preference based on the information that you've presented to them. And then facilitation, facilitating. I just got goosebumps. I'm that weirdo that gets goosebumps about talking about facilitation. <laughs> facilitation is such a vital part of who of what I have found to be my role as a parent. Yeah. That it's so much less, you will do this, you won't do this, it needs to be done this way, but so much more the fabulous steps you have just described, which are, you know, informing of, these are kind of the harsh realities of life. Because Mm -hmm. I care about you and love you and appealing to their logic, I want you to be able to have the future that you want. What would you, and then giving them the the information options, what would you like that to be? And then facilitating that. Because how much more motivated are you going to be when you are, um, what's the word for saying like equipped, like equipped, but you are, uh, there's some of the word with like an R. That's okay. You are requipped. I just made up a word. You're requipped with the information that you need to have make the choices you want to make while still being informed Mm -hmm. like I think that I like if we could get every parent therapist etc to like get those yeah in line in order but as you said before it's so hard to remove that emotional attachment as someone who cares about them too I'd really love for it to look like this though or I really think your happiness would be found here instead yeah. of here. Now, I'm not saying that's right. It's not. I'm just saying realistically as a parent, it's so hard to, and that's of neurotypical children as well, mm-hmm. relinquish that um, that desire that you had that comes from a good place. You want mm-hmm. them to be happy, but that perhaps their happiness is not going to be found there. Yeah. That's so hard. Yeah. And that takes just, so much practice and and sometimes sometimes restraint on the yes. part of a parent you know when I see my daughter and I think well wouldn't you want to like I mean that person was like just down the street don't you want to like call them and hang out she's like right no thanks I'm like oh, but what does this mean you know for the future you know what it probably doesn't really mean anything for her future it just means that like right now she would like to hang out with herself and like read a book okay. big deal you know? (laughs) And I think um, that just made me think, I wonder if that's because we are taking that, their life and their choices and what brings them joy. And it's like, we're forgetting that they have their own preferences. They have their own experiences. And it's more like we're projecting, well, that would make me unhappy. Mm -hmm. So that must make you unhappy or that must eventually deprive you Mm -hmm. of what would make you happy when really it's like, who are we to say 
you know, in those preferences kinds of skills, what will make our children happy. And that's not to say we shouldn't work hard. We shouldn't be kind, you know, but when it comes to like the scenario that you just brought up or, you know, instead of being a doctor, my kid really wants to be a YouTuber. Does not every child right now really want to be a YouTuber? Um, I do feel that when my child does bring up being a YouTuber, I say, wow, that sounds so interesting. You know, a lot of what I do is on social media. I would, wouldn't consider myself a YouTuber. I think to be that you have to make some money and that is not the position that I am in. (laughs) Hence all the sweats that I am wearing. But, um, I do along with the excitement and fun also remind of the reality of like, you know, what's kind of tricky about being a YouTuber is that most YouTubers make almost no money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, finding a four leaf clover, like it's possible, but it just doesn't happen, you know, much. And that doesn't mean that you can't try and really enjoy it um, and have it be a hobby or even try to have it be your job. But I don't feel like it would be fair or responsible of me as a parent to not let you know the odds aren't great. Right. But I would love to help you develop that talent and interest and see where you can go with it. You know, again, that facilitation. Yes. Yeah. And facilitation can look so different, you know, depending on the the individual in front of you. Right. So um I have this one client. She is one of the most um, persistent parents in terms of her own willingness to take in information and make changes for her son and try new things. Um, Like your dream parent is what you're trying to say. She's kind of amazing. She's kind of amazing. Um, And also a lot of the work that we do is around the parent interpretation of I'm not getting to the end goal fast enough. Ooh. Can um, you say that one more time? Cause I feel like it hit my soul <laughs> in a way that I'm like, I'm a little bit ashamed, but I, it's true. And I need to hear it again. Well, right. So as a parent, you have, you feel this sense of urgency. Yes. Right? Like, yes. I've got to get, we have to master this skill. We have to find four new friends. Like yesterday. Yesterday. Because. Yes because we don't have time to wait. No. But like you said before, it's kind of like, because I said so, Oh, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. As parents, we have to work a lot on our, what we bring to the table, table, our own mindset. Like my timeline for my kid calling the neighbor down the street and going to hang out, maybe it doesn't have to be in two hours. Maybe she'll do it this week. And when she finally does, she's going to love it way more than if I was like, you know, making her do it. Right. How cringy would that be? Like my mom made me call you <laughs> to come play. Right. I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. Do you like computer games? Right. <laughs> like that would be so, so un- I actually lead um some music and movement times at a disability center locally in Virginia beach and um fantastic. Love it. Mm-hmm. And a huge part of what I, you know, mentioned before, almost every activity or song that we enjoy or dance to is that, you know, what we are engaging in right now is not essential to your life function. We are having fun. Mm -hmm. You can join in however you want. You can stick seated. You don't have to participate because how often do we 
love participating in something we're being forced to do. All the time. Uh, it's always lovely. Oh, the best. I have the best time when my mom's like, you will sit and you will do this and you will love it. You know, yes. I mean, good money for mm-hmm. to be given the opportunity to choose is yeah. has so much, um, so much benefit, but also to a child. I think a lot of times we understand that for adults and somehow we think that that chemistry, that brain chemistry is just different for children. Not that they don't yeah. need boundaries and guidance, um, but allowing them to choose where it's appropriate, you know, uh, it's it's this one or this one, what would you like today? Right. Or, you know, do you want, if it's my kid, do you want Cheez-Its or goldfish for for breakfast? Mm -hmm. Because my kids, we're at about five or six foods currently. Um, we work with a food therapist, Mm -hmm. uh, just started last week. So fingers crossed, I've done all sorts of food therapy, like things at home. Um, generally that kind of stuff is just not really successful in the home. There's something about it being me, the parent, something about it being at home where there's other fun things to be doing. You're depriving me of that time. Anyway, all sorts of other excuses that to me make a whole lot of sense, but uh, needless to say, I'm, I'm very excited to hopefully see the potential for where this is going. Um, Another question that I had is I, you know, your specialty being behavior. I, I wonder what one of your most common uh, behavioral challenges that you see between um, parent and child Mm -hmm. that you have to troubleshoot most frequently. And it could be um, how the parent understands the child, or it could be a literal behavioral struggle that the child engages in. So whether it's like potty training and that's tricky Mm -hmm. or which like, I'd say that's like 90% of us or like sleep Um, or if it's how the parent interprets the behavior. So whether there's, you know, aggressive language or physical things, hitting, kicking, defiance, things like that. So either of those two things, what, what are things that you commonly see reoccur in most households? Um, I think it's a combination of the actual behavior and the parent's interpretation of what mm-hmm. it means. All I the suppose time. you can't isolate those two things, right? No, you really can't. That makes sense. But most of the time, a big complaint that I hear is they just won't follow directions. They won't mm-hmm. do what I ask them to. And then from a parent's perspective, that behavior means they're not like they don't care what I say. And then if you're a really skilled spirally parent, like myself, you could, you could go from there to, but I'm just so bad at this. No one loves me. And it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> I'm bad at this. No one loves me. That was such a big leap, but it's totally what we do, right? It and is. So many of us um, catastrophize yep. these kind of incidences. And one, and one thing, I'm sorry, I'm totally interrupting your thought process. No, no, Hopefully you can keep it in your brain. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really helped me as a parent identify, um, because as much as our kids probably would benefit from therapy, we would too. Mm-hmm. We're going through a whole lot of really tricky emotional stuff. And a lot of times we help regulate our kids' emotions and by suppressing our own. Yeah. And then we don't think there's going to be any consequences to that. And then we're surprised when we're outrageously depressed or anxious. And it's like, we'd never expect our child to hold in those kinds of emotions without processing them. Why? But anyway, that's sort of the whole parent-child existence, right? 
Um, Which is also complicated by the fact that, um, <laughs> you know, your child's brain is perhaps much more literal than, you know, if you have a neurotypical parent and a neurodivergent child, it's hard to understand how they might really, I mean, for them not following directions could be as simple as, I just haven't finished building this Lego yet. Mm. And I can't, I'm not going to stop. It's not that I don't like you or love you and you're not a bad human. I've just got this thing I'm doing right here. And so I think that, um, you know, and as a parent, when you're kind of suppressing all these emotions, you can go into spiral mode so much more quickly. You know, like you said, I'm not good at this. No one loves me. Right. It feels like a big leap. But if you right. have a week where you're, it's just getting piled and piled on, that's like, you know, half a second from one to the right. other. So I, it's really important. I'm glad you brought that up. Like the parent piece of those emotions and what we ascribe to these behaviors, um, it takes practice to kind of sit back and just observe it, you know, just like, okay, they're not, he didn't get up and go put his shoes on. Okay. Well, what's he doing? Mm. What else is happening? Did he hear me? Mm. Is he like at a crucial point of this Lego set? And if like, sometimes you just got to kind of wait out the Lego set building and then, and then you can move on with your day and, and always kind of weighing like the, I want pros and cons is kind of overrated. Um, but the towards moves and the away moves, like if I force this right now, you must get up and put on your shoes. When that child is in the middle of a, an activity, that's really very important for them. Like they're super focused. Um, you know, the long, long term, that's also telling them, well, what I'm doing doesn't matter. Right. Mm, sure. And so, you know, not following directions looks like a whole lot of things and there are a whole lot of different ways to respond. But I think the real, there are two real crucial parts is one noticing what else is going on in that environment. So a lot of times when I'm um, like on my social media channels, I do, I do a lot of talks and a lot of posts about just stop and notice, like mm. look at what's happening, listen to what's going on. And try to do that in a way where, I mean, if you have to literally take a step back so that there's more distance, right? So you can see that full picture. And then perhaps that not following directions makes a lot more sense, right? Yeah. Um, and as a parent, you're going to respond differently than like, you know, losing your beans and saying no one loves you, which you're not it. hopefully going to say in front of your kid. You of keep course. That, that one stays in your head. Right. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I think that regardless of the behavior, um, taking some taking a moment to kind of just take a tiny beat, look around what's happening. What else could this mean? Like being really curious about curious. your behavior. That is totally the word that I had stuck in my head. I think awesome. so much of so many people, um, whether we're talking about autistic communities or not, um, are just, we're not hardwired. I feel like, I feel like curiosity is often beat out of us. Yeah. Um, and hopefully not physically, but just right, right. that, you know, we want learning to be based on this schedule, this timeline. And I understand when you're, you know, when you're teaching masses of people, there needs to be some, some, 
some organization and some, you know, um, but the space for that curiosity driven learning, we kind of lose the space and time for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same goes for that emotional curiosity. We Mm -hmm. are rarely able to say, um, you know what? And I, I practice this very deliberately. So I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's something that I learned from a therapist myself. Um, I deliberately am very curious about my own feelings. And I will say, I am so cranky. Like my husband has done everything wrong today. Now I know here in my mind that that's not accurate. So what is going on? Like, and then I'll be able to, like you said, take that step back. And for me, rather than physically, it's emotionally, take that step back and say, okay, I'm going to look at myself. What has gone on in my day? What has gone on in my week? What has been building up? What have I not addressed? And 90% of the time I'm going to be like, aha, (laughs) there was that conversation or someone said something, whether they meant to or not, I felt judged. And I didn't address that very well. I, I it's you know I I just kind of like shoved it down, and now I'm in a funk, and now everyone feels wrong. Okay, so this is a me thing, and that's okay. I'm allowed to feel this way, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm able instead of taking it out on my spouse and my kids, I'm able to tell my kids and my spouse, hey. I am feeling super not okay right now. I'm feeling really angsty. It's not your fault. I'm trying my best not to take it out on you guys because that's not okay. But I'm sorry if I do. All the icky vibes that I'm giving off, not your fault. You've done nothing Mm -hmm. wrong. And Mm -hmm. it is amazing what can happen when you can identify that. And then you can invite those people that love you, care about you to be on your team. And invite them because usually we do the things that push people away when we're feeling that way, that we're like, we're looking for that fight. We're looking for that way to get out that energy. And it's that person that's to blame when really that's not the case. Um, But I love considering that within parenting, because I think when we are trying to put ourselves in this authoritative kind of role I think many, and you know, I'm sure this isn't all parents, but I think perhaps parents think they might devalue or de um, legitimize themselves yeah. if they ask those internal questions that maybe it's a me thing, or that maybe if I apply some patience and perspective, that might help my child. I think it it becomes a little threatening almost yeah. to some people to consider that. I wonder. this isn't necessarily super driven to this topic, but with your background in education, why is that? Why do we as parents or people who are attempting, and this is even like for bosses, you know, people who are in lead of teams and things, why, why do we take that so threateningly to become curious about our own behavior and motives and actions and things like that? Um, the, the thing that I'm thinking not just is, ask you the most complicated right. question in history. I'll just throw that at you. Hopefully you, you catch it and run with it. No problem. <laughs> well, uh, so I think, um, in my experience and as you're describing it, what there's a theme of, I don't want to be perceived as weak hmm. and that runs throughout our American culture just rampantly. 
um, and loudly and really like it's winning all the time. Like that wins right. the race, right? I don't want to be perceived as weak. And what so- I think if, if you don't mind, I think especially when we maybe have children who um, not play into as if that's what they're choosing, but contribute in ways to, I don't feel like I have the kind of influence I want to have over my kids. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's already, it's like, it's like that little voice inside your head that's screaming that, that you're trying to say, shush, I, I'm in control. I got this. Like, yeah. stop. Yeah. That like, yeah, if we start questioning, then like, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, and I think that it, there's, I'm, I'm starting to see at least within um, colleagues in my field who are working within the field of ABA in um, kind of a more broad perspective instead of just teaching discrete skills to kids at a table. That's traditionally right. how people think of ABA. Right. Um, to be fair, that version, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. And um, I have not really found it to work with older kids. So <laughs> Weird. You would think that like sitting any person, period, you know, mm-hmm. neurodivergent or not mm-hmm. at a table and being like, you know, trying to in a passive aggressive seeming way, yeah. you know, impl- anyway, that's a, that's a whole different conversation. Go oh, ahead. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> But there are, you know, I I see a lot of colleagues who are trying to, in particular, those of us who work with parents are trying to say, okay, weakness, you're defining it as you have this, we call it a relational frame and your learning history is such that weakness for you is defined as my kid doesn't do what I tell them to, they're not going to school, they're failing. That is my personal parental weakness. Mm -hmm. But what if instead of saying that that's what the weakness is, maybe we could work to strengthen the way that you define, or not, that's not the way to say it, strengthen and change the way that you associate with that scenario. So this is what weakness means to me. Okay, well, what else does weakness mean? Well, maybe if I were being honest as a parent, I would want to be stronger in the area of attending to my kid and noticing their cues and using that to kind of build on what I can help them learn or what they're interested in. And so in terms of taking a shift from building those strengths that help to going from a weakness to a strengths-based, which is what we all want to do for all of our kids, right? Like. You know, we could talk all day long about how, you know, I as a kid hated running, but I sure as heck wasn't going to start to love running if we kept talking about it. Right. Let's let's go ahead and focus on what I like to do. Like, how about we solve this by just doing it all day, every day? Yeah. Right. Eventually, you're just going to love it if I force you to do it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And, And so it's kind of the same when when I'm coaching parents, like this isn't working for you. This isn't workable. The way that you're interpreting this, the the words and feelings that you're ascribing to what your child is doing, um, that's all they are. Their words are words, you know, like you can make them up. You could create your own. You could totally change them. Um, 
And it's just the meaning behind that that matters. So in thinking about what, how, what are the words and feelings that I use, that I draw on when my kid is doing something that really triggers me? Hmm. Okay, so what if I did something like, oh, yep, okay, that's what I'm thinking right now. It's just a thought, and here it is. It, and what can I do now that's going to get me on a towards move? Progress is progress, no matter how small. Oh my gosh, it is so great that the Grinch, it's Grinch watching season, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am all about hanging on to those little things. Absolutely. And there are some times where it's like, I love that you first acknowledged, there's the thought. Because I think sometimes in an effort to present ourselves in a, in a, not a negative Nancy kind of way, we ignore that part. We say that is not welcome here. And we give so much weight to those thoughts. So we say that means I'm a terrible person and then we guilt ourselves about it. And then instead of like just honoring that emotion as a not positive or negative thing, it just is, mm-hmm. it just exists. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of roll it around in the mud and think that will help it somehow be less sticky and gross. It's like, no, of course, you know, but again, I get it here, but here of it's, course. it's more difficult to do emotionally. Yeah. And half the time we don't even realize we're doing it. Yeah. It's just this subconscious like yeah. thought process and functioning that, that happens. But I, I love the approach of, of honoring it first and then saying, um, my sister, who's a therapist as well, she got me into, I never know the exact word, dialectal behavioral therapy, yeah. DBT, yeah. where and that has been like Because I feel like the human mind is designed to say, well, is it yes or no? As if there can't be yes and no. Well, sometimes it is yes. And sometimes it is no. That we're used to saying, well, I really like her, but she's really smelly. And of (laughs) course, that is so reflective of how I speak as a person, how intelligent and well-spoken I am. Um, but we, we, for some reason, we can't, we, we really struggle to put sentences together that are like, I had the, I had the thought today that my kid was really bothering me and I love him like crazy. But those two things can sign that are seemingly opposite aren't that they can exist in the same space. That has been huge for me. That I can, yeah. like you were describing, check myself and say, huh, I'm having that thought. I can't control that that thought happened. Right. But, yes, right. But what can I do about the thought that exists? Right. Um, applying shame doesn't, I don't know, doesn't seem to do anybody any good oh, at any time. Sorry. And what I love about what you've described so much, and, and and I would say I'm sorry that we spend a lot of time talking about the parental side without as much the kid, like your specialty with the children's side. But I think so much of what you have described is that the mental health awareness, um, processing capabilities of the parent yeah. seems to be essential yeah. to the success, progress, healthy mental state of the child. 
A hundred percent. And please don't be sorry because that's probably 75% of the work that I do. Hmm. You know what I mean? But that makes total sense. Oh my gosh. When I talk to, when I talk to parents and I'm trying to educate parents about understanding their kids, it's with the understanding that they are with their kids, you know, 97% of the time. Yeah. And that just as we have learned from our parents and there are things ingrained in us that our parents you know, never meant to ingrain in us, but parts of them that have just been passed down, that if I can, if I really want to help the kid, I will help the parents. Yep. You know, and, and I love that, like, so much of what it sounds like you do is that process. If I want to help the child, and I'm sure you absolutely do direct work with the child as well, Mm -hmm. but you can't, you can't, you know, make that full turn, I suppose, if, the person driving the car isn't exactly. on board with the, with what's, what's happening, you know, or resentful or, well, oh, like, this is just so obnoxious. Like there's like, why do we just have to do so many charts or just <laughs> like, really, we have to get rid of like, like really we have to all sit down at the dinner table for this food stuff to work or, you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. not, not, not a willing participant and not that it, you know, those kind of, those kind of struggles or thoughts or concerns aren't valid, but right. just ho- holding on in a, in an icky way yeah. to those things, being unwilling to try and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that you have that understanding that it's so much about helping the parents be in a good spot so they can help their child. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like we had talked about at the beginning, you know, it doesn't have to be you're at 100% every day. You know, if you make a tiny move that gets you feeling a little bit more comfortable with taking that tiny move faster tomorrow, do it. That's success. Like that's progress. That's, that's how as a parent, you show up differently for your kid and in the way that your kid needs them to. And Every day is not going to be perfect, of course, mm. but the more you can make those tiny towards moves, I, I use acceptance and commitment training with parents, and that's kind of, it's very similar to DBT. And when you can make those tiny towards moves and you start piling them on, you know, it's like the book Atomic Habits. It's the exact same thing, mm-hmm. um, but that guy like packaged it in a way that is easier to talk about and sure. easier for people to hear. Um <laughs> But those are those are the tiny successes that I celebrate with with my clients, with the parents I'm working with. My the one parent I was talking about, you know, she'll have like any of us days where she's like, I didn't do any of those things. And I'm like, okay, great. And but how many days this week did you do those things? Oh, you know, okay. I mean, that's that's progress, right? That's how we get to changing these patterns that are going to get our kids to be more successful than we are. That's every parent's dream, right? Right. Well, Mm -hmm. I think what can be tricky um, as the parent is that if we have a, you know, Dr. Diane Hudson, who is telling us that those small steps are success and that, you know, you should be proud of those accomplishments. I understand firsthand how that required effort and delivered attention on your part and intention and you followed through and that's fantastic. And your child benefits from all of it. You know, if, whether it was 50% or a hundred percent today, your child benefits from all the percent. Mm -hmm. Um, 
While if we have you on our team, that voice in time, that's, that helps, right? We, we, we have that voice. Um, but when we're not in your presence, mm-hmm. yeah. we have society, schools, our own personal expectations and insecurities, you yeah. know, grandmas and, you know, people back in my day, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. those expectations when you're out in public that are seemingly screaming that yeah. urgency that we talked about initially that, mm-hmm. well, it must be a feeling on your part. It must be that you spoil the child, you know, and generally autistic children don't go around with a name tag saying that this is a neurological difference. I'm doing my best to process the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that tolerance that uh, we are so desperately trying to teach my child, it might not look great when we are trying to teach it to them. It's so funny how we expect this kind of behavior without um, being willing to witness the struggle to learn that behavior. It's like, yeah. well, where where do you expect that to happen then? Um, exactly. exactly. So I think it is so valuable to have somebody who, you know, one of one of two groups of people, I suppose. Um, the first group would be like that best friend who just knows how to listen really well. Mm-hmm. And I have like two or three of those because yeah. a lot of the things that I, you know, would either only write in a journal or only say to a very intimate close friend, would never post on social media, would never tell my children, mm-hmm. but need a space. Um, And that don't mean I'm a terrible person. Uh, Those are very delicate uh, feelings that if someone responds the wrong way, it can just be like heartbreaking. Um, And, you know, I don't expect that of every person. So I have my, you know, handful, two or three people that are those people for me. And that doesn't mean other people are bad people. It just means they don't happen to be outrageously emotionally intelligent. And that's fine. Um, That... You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. Maybe you're a great baker. Maybe, you know what I mean? I'm not that. I'm one of those emotional (laughs) listener people. Um, And in the other group, professionals like yourself who, um, if you're lucky enough, you you have someone who has not just the educational training, the um, experience in clinical settings and with a variety of children and parents, but who also seems to bring that emotional understanding piece to it. So it sounds like as a professional, you're not just saying I'm focused on the child. Y'all need to get with the program or y'all are out that you have that broader perspective of what's best for the child is to get the parents on board. I can apply the same thought processes, education and experience and learning and compassion that I have for the child, for the parent. And that as a package is really what's going to be in the best interest of the child. Mm -hmm. I know personally, I have dealt with a lot of very well-meaning professionals who um, just tell me, well, you're going to do this and this in the home. And I'm like, (sighs) no, I'm not. Watch me not do it. They just sort of prescribe it almost as if it's medication without consideration of what I'm capable of, you know, where time-wise, where I'm at, what I can do. Um, So I really appreciate the combination of both because that's where kids are going to be successful. You bet it is. You know, when you combine that 
intelligence and experience with that emotional understanding and that compassion because you they can they almost seem to if you if you do one without the other they they almost seem to cancel each other out exactly it builds resentment it builds guilt it builds this mm-hmm. you know things that get in the way of success and so yep i have yeah, loved hearing all that from you well great i i love talking about it obviously <laughs> i really I love doing it i hear so if you could tell just kind of in summarization well not even in summarization but as a last thought if you could help parents understand one thing, either about their autistic child, about behavior, maybe about their own selves, but just one thing um, on a superficial level, a deep level, something they can practice, just kind of one piece of advice, no pressure whatsoever. Right. Just what, what, what words would you like on your tombstone one day is all I'm trying to say. Um, I just always go back to kids and parents will do well if they can. Hmm. And nobody doesn't want to do better when they're struggling. Oof. Nobody doesn't want to do better when they're struggling. Did I say that right? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm all confused about my double. Nobody doesn't or anybody wants to do better when they're struggling. So nobody yes. doesn't or anybody wants. Thank you. Or everyone wants to do yeah. that when they're struggling. Yeah. And that in doing that, you open up so many more. Like it's such a, it feels and looks like such a small moment in time, but it really especially gives kids the idea that I don't, I'm not terrible. I don't suck. Like I can... I'm a good heartbreaking even just to think, but I'm sure, you know, that's such a reality for so many kids, period, right? Neurodivergent (laughs) or not, but specifically the expectations that we as parents, society has that, that constant feeling of failure must just be heart and soul crushing. Yeah. So just as a parent, just get curious about it. Just notice one just take a little bit of time and notice what what's going on with your kid, which is a really broad way of saying, you know, just watch what they're doing. Hmm. Listen to what they're saying. What are they saying more often? What does their face look like when they're saying, okay, mom, or okay, dad, I'll do it. You know, like what, what is really behind that? Is it like excited? Like I will definitely do this because I think this is like, this is what I really want to do to help myself and to help you or, okay, I'll do it because I feel like I have to. Like, just get curious about what you're seeing and hearing from your kid and you'll learn so much more about them. And I would think the more that you know about them, the more they feel seen, the more you'll be able to help them effectively Mm -hmm. rather than just trying to engage in sort of old school techniques like shame and guilt that, lead to just performative kind of mm-hmm. success and then maybe they experience in quote success but will they experience happiness you know yeah maybe they do everything goal wise on the schedule that you had hoped and dreamed of mm-hmm. they go to college they you know make money they have a family but they're miserable right. like is that really what we want for our kids 
Yep. I've never had a parent say, I'd like my kid to be miserable. Right. Yeah. But then we, we can so often ignore that. Like we prior, we, we don't say it, but we prioritize other things and we, we sort of push in a direction that we don't mean to. So, well, if you could tell us, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. I have so appreciated being able to pick your brain. I feel like I just had a therapy session myself. You can send me the bill um, because I know your time, I'm sure, is outrageously valuable. Um, if you could tell us where perhaps your most popular social media or website, um, I'll include it in everything that's uh, the notes, the program notes of the episode. But just quickly for our listeners, where we can find you so that we can locate your services. Sure, absolutely. Um, probably Instagram is the place where I am most often. And that handle is um, Dr. Diane Hudson. So just D-R-D-I-A-N-E-H-E-D-S-O-N, which I spell because surprisingly people ask about all of it. Um, yes, um, well, it might be two N's, right? I feel like that could be. Could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's probably the best place. And from there, I have links um, to my website. Um, okay. And that's where you'll find out about the parent coaching and parent tips. Um, I have another, I'm starting my virtual social girls groups up again. And those okay. are a super blast. Um, that is a different IG handle because I like to make things complicated. <laughs> but that. uh, that's um grow thrive girls groups and those are getting ready to getting ready to get going again in january so if we go through your dr diane hudson instagram can we find that other instagram okay sure can. yeah perfect yeah. um thank you so much for your time and your energy today and your brain and your compassion i am always so um I feel like often this, these efforts are always so disheartening because you're met with, with just people who aren't in your field and maybe are, but who generally aren't in your field, who just don't understand mm -hmm. and who can take those really great efforts and hopes and dreams and big heart that you have and just kind of meh. Yeah. And it's, it, it can be hard, but when I get to speak with like-minded, compassionate people like you, who seem to be very much on the same page that I am as far as advocacy and, mm -hmm. and understanding your kids' behavior so that you can be more effective and compassionate in your parenting and that that's the best uh, uh, way for your child to become happy. Anyway, you know, um, yeah. facilitating that success, not just for the child, but through the parents as well. Yeah. It's just the best feeling to find my people, you know? Same, same. Really I'm very, I'm very grateful. Thank you for having me on. I've always, ever since, like I said, since I got introduced to you, I've been loving the your approach and your your vision and your mission. So thank okay. you. For hanging well, out you're a you. part of it now. Too bad. You're on my team. If if <laughs> if you don't want to be, I already have your costume picked out. And okay, we're a superhero team, and that's what we're gonna do. Okay, awesome. Good. No, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. We'll have to think of a team name. You can comment to us, please. Let us know what you think our superhero, you know, advocacy, behavioral understanding, all behaviors, communication kind of team name mm -hmm. should have. Very important. It's probably the most important question I've ever asked on this podcast. Please contribute to, yeah. to the name of our super team. Please we do. will see you next time. Bye-bye.